going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Good Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I want to spend a bit of time this afternoon understanding maybe what's going on behind the scenes when it comes to Canada's attempt to reach a trade deal, well, a free trade deal with China. Because I think when it comes to trade, Canada needs China more than China needs Canada. I could be wrong, but I hope my next guest is going to clarify things for me. Charles Burton, professor of political science at Brock University, former Canadian diplomat to China. Charles, thanks so much for joining us today. Nice to be on the show, Angela. And that's why I want to talk to you. You've got some of the inside workings of your time as a Canadian diplomat to China. So when I throw out that question, does Canada need China more than China needs Canada, am I wrong? No, I mean, you're absolutely right. I don't think there's anything that China currently sources from Canada in the way of goods and services that China cannot obtain from some other country. So, you know, we are not a critical player to China by any means, nor are we a major market for China compared to all of the comparable uh, markets throughout the world that China sells to. So from that point of view, um, you know, China can take us or leave us, I guess. But from the Canadian perspective, of course, China is a major trading partner of Canada. And with the potential um, decline in the economic benefits of our relationship with the United States, if the NAFTA negotiations go south, politically, I think the government wants to to, uh, show to Canadians that, that... that we are able to get a, a, a much better share of the Chinese market and thereby promote and sustain our prosperity. So you're really dealing with two different uh, um, asymmetrical uh, approaches to, uh, to this question of free trade. The Chinese certainly don't need more access to the Canadian market in the sense that they're already pretty protected by the WTO agreement and, you know, our, our, our rule of law that allows uh, Chinese firms to seek just recourse in, in the case of contract disputes, and Canada does not get the same sort of thing the other way around. So it's, uh, it's an interesting dynamic because the motivations are not based on equality and reciprocity. So then that puts us in a position where, you know, prior to Prime Minister Trudeau heading over for this visit to China that ended yesterday, we've got a government saying that we're going to have this frank dialogue. We always talk about human rights issues, um, a progressive trade agenda. So when I hear that from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, I'm thinking, uh, does China really care what you think? Well, I think uh, I think that's exactly right. Um, I certainly was a bit uh, surprised when I read the uh, press release from the Prime Minister's office that came out uh, more or less at the same time as the Grey Cup game uh, that Sunday and said that the two purposes of the Prime Minister's visit was to promote a fair trade agenda, which would include conditionality on our free trade agreement with China with regard to gender labor, um, indigenous rights and environment. And uh, as you say, that while Mr. Trudeau uh, was in China, that he intended to engage in a frank dialogue uh, with China on human rights. Well, 
you know, the Chinese government has not agreed to um, fair trade agendas in any of the other free trade agreements that they have um, um, successfully negotiated to date. Um, two countries similar to our own in terms of, of political institutions like New Zealand and Australia have not got that. And so the question would be why would they want to have these conditions in a trade agreement with Canada and particularly as Canada is not such a critical market to the United States as say a larger country like, uh, to China as a larger country than the United States and secondly because it would set a precedent that other western nations would like to see followed in their in their relations with China and in terms of dialogue on human rights since the um, 19th Chinese Communist Party Congress last October where the current leader of China, Xi Jinping, consolidated his power, the Chinese government has made it crystal clear that they are not prepared to entertain dialogue with Western countries on Western political categories, that China is dedicated to their uh, Leninist and indeed Stalinist, they still like Stalin in China system, and that the previous governments, um, Hu Jintao and Jiang Zemin, the previous leaders of China who had been indulging in discussion of Western political forms, particularly to satisfy the the uh, domestic aspirations of Western countries that were providing aid to China, had resulted in weakening the party and um, and weakening the uh, the uh, commitment to the communist ideals which legitimate the existing government. So, you know, both of those things that were listed in the press release looked to me like things that. Mr. Trudeau could not possibly accomplish in China, knowing the current state of the Chinese system as I do. Well, with that kind of a setup, then, it sounds like uh, China holds all the cards, or is this a case where our government has to say, you know what, we're going to have to set aside some of the goals that we had when it comes to uh, governance or uh, human rights, just for the sake of getting a trade deal with such a, a massive trading partner like China? Yes, I think that uh, the Chinese government's idea is that we should more or less duplicate the, um, the free trade agreement that Australia has, which is strictly based on economic factors on how to facilitate um, better transfer of goods and services between the two countries, taking into advantage the complementarities in their in their. So I think for Canada, we have a choice to make, really. Either we we stick with insisting that our trade agreement with China include um, these um, Canadian values, human rights, environment, and, and so on, or we decide that we want a trade agreement with China that, that will um, uh, reduce the tariffs and move the move uh, more Canadian products into the Chinese market and hopefully attain a greater share of the Chinese market. Um, and perhaps we could try and see if we can get some some uh, language that would protect our Canadian investors and, and traders in the Chinese market away from, you know, the Chinese government's tendency to arbitrarily apply mm, customs duties and taxes and new regulations that tend to squeeze Canadian businesses out of the market and transfer those proprietary manufacturing processes and, and um, intellectual property to the Chinese partner. 
And sometimes, you know, if the Canadians are not prepared to go along with demands for bribery, resulting in, in Canadians ending up in, in prison on spurious criminal charges, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, we'd like to make it so that Canadians would have confidence in the Chinese market, but the Chinese government is clearly not going to abide any agendas on the part of the government of Canada to change Chinese regime behavior and institute um, human rights in China. Uh, Charles, I want to take a break here because um, we touched on the fact that the whole idea of the non-economic factors that have no place in, in trade deals, I want to delve into that a little bit more. Charles Burton is my guest, professor of political science at Brock University, former Canadian diplomat to China. 403-974-8255, you know that's the number to text if you have any thoughts on this. I'm Angela Cocott, you're listening to 770 CHQR. Trying to understand what is at stake as Canada tries to reach a trade deal with China. Charles Burton, professor of political science at Brock University, former Canadian diplomat to China, is my guest this half hour. And uh, Charles, we have had other agreements in the past. This we're talking about is a, a massive trade agreement, a free trade agreement, because we have they have deals when it comes to canola, cattle, things like that, correct? Yes, I mean, we've got a number of sectoral smaller agreements between Canada and China, and, and we have some restrictions. You know, we, uh, in the Harper government decided after the Sinoch-Nexon deal that China, Chinese state firms would not be allowed to acquire a controlling interest in, in Canadian energy for, uh, firms henceforth. So, right. you know, there are a lot of conditionalities and, and facilitating agreements in trade which, um, you know, hopefully serve both sides well. The canola one is unfortunate in the sense that China's been blocking uh, uh, the, the canola because of, uh, of um, it interfering with domestic canola production, um, and they've applied a dockage, you know, an impurities uh, um, standard on Canada that would be very high, but they've deferred the the implementation of it till 2020. So that's sort of hanging over our head. That's a $2 billion a year export for Canada. So uh, China, I think, is using that to gain leverage in other areas. I want to talk, though, about these non-economic factors that uh, China says has no place in trade deals. And uh, an article you wrote in theconversation.com kind of went into details about if Canada wants to have enhanced access to China's, this huge market, then it's got to tow Beijing's line. And, and you listed a number of things. Charles, can you give my listeners an idea of what some countries, in this case Canada, may have to accept if it wants a trade agreement? Well, I think certainly China expects that countries that engage in trade with its state firms, the state firms representing all of the interests of the Chinese state, uh, including political and security interests, that Canada will um, not criticize the Chinese state itself. So if we want to get the benefits of the free trade deal, the Chinese government does not want Canada criticizing China's domestic human rights, um, doesn't want Canada to be criticizing China's uh, external behavior, such as the expansion into the uh, South China Sea and the land reclamation on international waters to develop military bases there, or China's support for um, the North Korean regime, or any number of, of concerns that Canada has about China not being in compliance with international norms. And so it comes, you know, trade with China 
comes at a price, and the Chinese regime has the leverage over us to try and um, enforce um, Canada's compliance with the role in the world that China sees for itself. And so, you know, that's the cost we have to play. Are we willing to to cease to assert Canadian values in our foreign policy with China in the interests of being able to promote our prosperity through enhanced trade relationships with that enormous market. You went so far to talk about Chinese espionage in Canada. Well, I mean, this is an ongoing, continuous problem of Chinese um, hacking of of government and um, economic uh, servers to to benefit their state firms. Um, you know, because the Canadian system is based on a separation of business and government, we don't do that. So, you know, our, our computer um, espionage agency, the Communication Security Establishment of Canada in Ottawa, an arm of the Department of National Defence, you know, would not assist a Canadian firm like BlackBerry to find out how the competitive bidding is going on by, say, Samsung in various markets. You know, we just don't do that. But from the Chinese point of view, their state firms and the government are identical, so the state firms can draw on all the political and espionage and security um, elements of, of government to serve their interests. And similarly, investment is also strategic. So the fact that, that China might hold out some attractive economic incentives would be, in business, would be to serve China's overall geopolitical mm. interests in, in moving the Canada away from our dependence, political and economic, on the United States and trying to bring us more into the China circle. So you see things like that, not to speak of you know, Chinese harassment of, um, Chinese government harassment of Canadians of Chinese origin in Canada to try and get them to not criticize the Chinese system and to assist China to further its regime goals in the world and in Canada domestically. Charles, I know we're talking and we're focusing on China and obviously that's uh, your expertise or your background as well, but, but Canada has trade deals, maybe not necessarily free trade deals, with other countries in the world where I feel that they've had to look the other way when it comes to human rights, um, their human rights agenda. I mean, right off the top of my head, I'm thinking of Saudi Arabia. So is this, do you think, where ultimately as a country we have to weigh whether or not the economics are more important than maybe some of these values that we hold near and dear? Well, as you say, this has been our consistent stance, um, and particularly with Saudi Arabia. You know, the government has the Magnitsky Act, where recently officials of the Soviet Union and southern Sudan, and most recently 19 officials of the Venezuelan regime, have been listed and subject to sanctions in terms of entry to Canada and and um, economic dealings with Canadian entities. But, we, you know, one would have thought based on objective neutral criteria that Saudi Arabian officials would would have been ahead on the list than, than officials of Venezuela with regard to um, allegations of torture and gross abuse of human yeah. rights. And China would be the same. But you do wonder when we'll ever put Saudi Arabians and, and Chinese officials on that list because, of course, that the, those regimes would then retaliate and, and the economic cost for key elements of the Canadian economy would would suffer. Yeah. So it does seem that there is a degree of, I guess you'd call it hypocrisy, but certainly differential treatment of regimes based on their economic significance to us.
Good conversation. Charles, thanks so much for this. Good to speak with you. Take Charles, care. Yeah, Charles Burton, professor of political science at Brock University, former Canadian diplomat to China. Let's take a break here for news.